So when I was about 18 years old, I had a life-changing experience. I turned my life over to Jesus Christ. I trusted him, put my faith in him, and my life literally did a 180. I mean, I was a, a decent kid. I had a really solid family, mom, dad, two older brothers, played basketball, baseball, ran cross country. But I was getting into some, some, some I would say, uh, bad areas in my life. I had some goofy friends that were making some poor choices and and I was sort of heading down the wrong road. To kind of give you a picture of where I was at, you know, I had good grades and I was, like I said, an, an athlete or whatever. But one particular evening, I made some poor choices with a group of friends I was with and uh, the police showed up, which is always fun. And let's just say that night I should have gone to jail. For some strange reason, the police officer had mercy Instead of escorting me to jail, he wrote me a ticket, a summons. He said, you have to appear before the judge to pay a fine. And I'm like, wow, I think I just dodged a bullet. Because I was more afraid of my mother <laughs> than anything else. And so I had to figure out on my court date how to skip school, which was not a huge issue. Figured that out, had to sneak out of school, get, drive to the courthouse, stand before the judge, plead guilty, pay the fine, get back to school, you know, without mom finding out. Somehow I pulled it off until this moment. <laughs> My mom's probably watching live. Sorry, mom. I'm still afraid of you at 41. That's just a little bit of a picture of how my life shifted. I, I went from, from making some, some pretty cho poor choices with my life, not headed in the direction of God or church or anything like that, meet Jesus Christ, put my trust in him, and my life just goes, Ooh. graduated high school, uh, went to my freshman year at New York University in downtown Manhattan, which is not a very godly place. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> I was the only Christ follower on my basketball team, which made it incredibly difficult to resist temptation and started to fall back into some of my old patterns, even though I didn't want to. I, was, I, knew, I knew I was different. I wanted different things. We talked about that last week, right? Desiring different things. But I had all these embedded patterns and habits and sinful you know, choices I had made that they just don't go away sometimes, even though you prayed a prayer and accepted Christ as your Savior. And so did my first year at NYU, made it through there. And that summer, I was approached by someone in a church that I was attending, my, my mom took, took us to, and uh, the, suggestion, the suggestion was, well, why don't you just take the summer and go and become a Bible counselor, a camp counselor, a sleepaway camp in Pembine, Wisconsin. Now, if you look up Pembine, Wisconsin, you're not going to find it on a map. <laughs> you will. But it, it'll take you a while because it's, it's a hard place to find. And so I decided, I made the decision to take 10 weeks of my summer after my freshman year of college to go become a camp counselor at Lake Lundgren Bible Camp. I remember the first night when the, when the plane flew in, the, the camp director and his wife picked me up. They drove me to the camp in their pickup truck, and it was so dark. See, now growing up in New York City, there's a lot of lights around the clock. You know, it's very, you don't get a lot of darkness. But when I got to this place, I could not see my hand in front of my face. I was scared. It was darkness like I had never seen before. I had never seen the stars like that before. It's absolutely magnificent. Spent 10 weeks at this camp, 
in, in Pembine, Wisconsin. We inv I invested my life in second, third graders, fourth graders, middle school students, and then high school students for 10 weeks. Here's what happened, though. I wasn't the one who was blessing people necessarily. I was being blessed. By who? By the veteran counselors who had walked with Jesus for years, and they were mature in their faith. By the camp director and his wife themselves, who kind of took me under their wing and began to disciple me and show me how to be a Christian. By the camp speakers who would come in every, so we had 10 camp speakers. Even the ones that spoke to the third and fourth graders were speaking directly to me because I was brand new. I couldn't even quote John 3.16 to you. And I'm taking notes all summer, 10 weeks, and I'm living in this, this spiritual community of people. And at the end of those 10 weeks, I was so blessed, I was so encouraged, I was so edified, I decided to go back for another summer after my second year of college at Liberty University. And I did another 10 weeks at this camp because of the spiritual maturity and the spiritual community that I experienced. My faith Probably the best decision, other than trusting Christ with my life, probably the best decision I ever made as a Christ follower to go to that camp and invest my life for 20 weeks into students. Last week we started a series called Good Christian. I said it's hard to know sometimes. It's hard to know, am I, am I on the right track? Am I on the wrong track? You know, am I growing? Am I a good Christian? Am I a bad Christian? We said last week that it's not about perfection, it's about direction, <laughs> right? We said that your desires ought to be changing. And if they're not changing, you may be in trouble. And so I don't have time to get into all that. But if you missed it, man, go back and watch that. You know, I think it'll be very encouraging to you. So your desires ought to be changing. You ought to be wanting different things. Today, I want to talk to you about another indication or another barometer that you can use to discern whether or not you're on the right track as a Christian or you're on the wrong track. If you're a guest with us here today, my name is Danny. I want to welcome all of our campuses, Banta Franklin, everybody here at Greenwood. Also our online campus. Can we give it up for our online campus? Everyone watching all across the world. Literally, it's amazing what technology will do. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this is a blessing to you. So today, what I, what I want to do is push into the second category, the second you know, issue or barometer, whatever you want to call it, indicator that you are on the right track as a good Christian. And that's very simple. Number two, you are pursuing spiritual community. Spiritual community. Last week, we defined what it looks like to be spiritually mature. Do you remember? We quoted Luke chapter 6, verse 40. Jesus said, that there is, the student is not above his teacher, but when the student is fully trained, he will be, she will be like the teacher, right? So to be spiritually mature means that you are able to act and behave and react and live your life as Jesus lived his, right? Another way to say it would be to be spiritually transformed is to be able to live your life as Jesus would live it if he were you. That's a tall order. That's difficult. In fact, it's incredibly difficult if you really try to go at it by yourself, which I was. When I was a new Christian, I was so on fire. I was, uh, like I said, I did a 180. I was like, I was headed this direction. Now I'm headed this direction. And what does the Bible say? And I'm going to try to do it. So if the Bible says try to be honest or have sexual integrity or, or to, you know, to be the type of person who's unselfish, well, I'm going to go get it. I'm going to, I am going to change my life. And I quickly realized I couldn't do it by myself. I love what C.S. Lewis said one time about the difficulty of really trying to be good in his book, Mere Christianity. No man or woman, for that matter, knows how bad he or she really is until he's tried hard to be good. <laughs> See, I really was trying hard to be good. And it's when I really tried to be good that I realized how bad I was. Have you had this experience yet? 
Only those who try to resist temptation, fight temptation, say no to temptation, know how strong temptation is. Those who constantly give in, they don't really know the power of temptation. Why? Because they always give in. They've never tried to resist. Just a thought. Lewis says this. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside of us until we try to fight it. So here I am as a brand new Christian and I'm trying to fight all of these evil tendencies and inclinations and desires and I'm wanting the wrong things and I've given in to temptation all through high school to do this and this and this and this. And now I'm learning about all these new things I should be and do and all these new desires I should have and I come to a very, very quick realization that I cannot do it. It's very difficult. I'm like the Apostle Paul early on in my journey in Romans chapter 7 verse 19. For I do not do the good that I want to do. I want to do what's right. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be able to live my life as he would live it if he were me. But the evil I do, the evil I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. Anybody else or is it just me? Right? I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I keep on doing this. I don't want to do it, but, but I don't know how to stop. And then I try and use my willpower and use my energy and I go and maybe go to a church service and, and go down front and, and go to the altar and recommit my life and then only to fall again and to fall again and get back up. And fall again. What I came to realize is that I needed spiritual community. See, <clears throat> spiritual, spiritual formation or mature, becoming mature, in our, it's not a solo affair. It's something that you need people for. Have you ever tried to play Monopoly by yourself? <laughs> right? It's really a challenge. <laughs> or, or, or maybe hide and seek. You ever play hide and seek by yourself? I mean, it's just try it. It's just... Have you ever tried to go on a romantic weekend by yourself? If you're like, if you're going to say yes to that, don't, we don't, 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 don't want to, don't want to know about that. There are some things that you just simply cannot do by yourself, like, like this seesaw here. See, see, this is, you know, do anybody remember as a kid, you know, nobody's around, nobody will play with you, and you're just like up and down, up and down, you know, and finally you just, you know, you, you find yourself down and you're like, I can't play this game by myself. And honestly, this, this picture right here, the reason I know I'm being a little goofy, a little fun or whatever, and I wanted you to see this picture because this is what some of you are trying to do in your spiritual life. You're trying to take maybe some thoughts that you get from me or some other you know, person or book or from the Bible, and you're trying to, to do it on your own. And, and I'm telling you that spiritual maturity is not something you can do on your own. You can make a little progress, you can see some change, but if you want to become like the master in every way, this, this isn't going to work. You actually need other people in your life. And, and see, that's what I had. See if I can get up. <laughs> that's what I had at this camp. I didn't even know I needed it. I knew I couldn't do it on my own, but I didn't know what I needed. And what I needed was the, someone who was more mature. Someone who was ahead of me in their faith. A bunch of somebodies who were ahead of me in their faith to come alongside of me and show me. And that's what I got. Again, the decision to go to that camp for 20 weeks early on in my life as a Christ follower set the direction for my life. It was one of the best decisions I ever made. What did I do? I entered into a spiritual community. How do other people help us grow? How exactly did all that work? Like, I didn't even know it was happening, but it was happening. And now as I reflect back on it, and I look at where I'm at today in my spiritual formation, and all that simply means is how much have I become like Jesus? 
There's percentages, you know. You have a percentage, I have a percentage. How far, how far have I gotten? Okay, now how did I get there? If I'm at 75% or, or if you're at you know, 80% or if someone's at 40%, how do you get there? How do you move? How do people help you to grow? I'm gonna show you four, four specific ways. Number one, by their example. By their example. See, what I had at that Bible camp through the summer was an example. I had lots of examples. I had married couple examples. I had single person examples. What does it look like to be a mature Christ follower? I had examples. Paul, one of the greatest Christians to ever live in the Bible, other than Jesus, he wrote 14 books to the New Testament, was mentoring a guy named Timothy, and among many others, in fact, First and Second Timothy were letters written to Timothy to help him grow in his faith. And listen to what Paul tells Timothy. Flee the evil desires of youth. I would add adulthood. Anybody? <laughs> okay. Wait a second. They don't all go away, you know, when you turn 30 or 40 or whatever. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue. Chase after. Go after. Run after righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And he doesn't stop there. What does he add? Along with, say it with me, those, those, who are those? Those who call upon the name of the Lord from a pure. Timothy, Timothy, here's the deal. You want to grow? Definitely pursue love, pursue faith, pursue joy, pursue these different things. Don't forget to pursue like-minded people who are calling upon God. What does that mean? They're trusting in God. They're putting their life in God's hand. They're, they're, they have faith in him. They're, they're trying to live for him and honor him, right? They're praying to him. People who have Jesus as the center of their life. Surround yourself with those people. Why? It's very simple. It's very simple. He doesn't tell us in this statement, but other passages will tell us. The people you surround yourself with will rub off on you. It's inevitable. We just pick it up. We pick up people's habits. We pick up people's values. We pick up their, the way they think. We pick up their, their attitudes about life. Do you, have you noticed this yet about yourself? This is not a teenager thing. And I understand we tell teenagers, oh, you need to watch, pick your friends carefully because they, I understand. It's an adult thing. It's a people thing. It's a person thing. The people who are around you the most will shape you and mold you by their example. You just, we just pick stuff up like a cold, like a virus. We pick it up. Attitudes, values, habits, they just rub off on us. So Paul tells Timothy, pursue those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. John Maxwell wrote a book called 15 Laws of Growth. Law number six, the law of environment. It's not a spiritual book, it's a book about personal growth. Law number six basically says that it's your environment that helps you to grow or prevents you from growing. He quotes a social psychologist from Harvard named David McClelland. He's done a bunch of research on the influence that your, your inner circle has on your life. McClelland says this in the book, chapter six, the people with whom you associate with on a daily basis is your reference group. This reference group has, watch this, a 90, they're 95% responsible for, the, for your success or failure. Therefore, therefore, little advice, choose them wisely. Good advice or bad advice? This is a Harvard guy. He's got the data. He's got the research behind it. Your reference group is 95% responsible for your success or failure. Would that be true in the spiritual life? You better believe it. It's also true in about every other area of your life as well. I wouldn't quite say it this way because 
as you, if you were here for our adulting series, which I, we, I had a lot of fun in that series. Did I bother you in that series? I hope I did. I was really trying to get under your skin. In the adulting series, what we said was you are 100, 100% responsible for your life, right? So I wouldn't necessarily say that other people are responsible. No, I am. I would say it this way. I would say that the other people in your life have a massive impact on your success or failure. <laughs> but you are totally responsible. And here's why. You allow those people to be in your life. Hello. Some of you need to fire some friends. <laughs> they're in your life because you let them be in your life and now they're shaping you and they're molding you. Father to son, Solomon says to his son in Proverbs chapter 22, son, pay attention. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one who's easily angered. Oh, you can almost see it. Why, dad? Come on. Now you're getting into my friendships. Back off, right? Anybody raising teenagers? Here's why, son. Because if you make friendships with hot-tempered people, easily angered people, here's what might happen. You may learn their ways. Why? We pick up things from people. We pick up their patterns and their habits and their attitudes and their way of seeing the world and how they treat you. We pick it up like a cold or a virus. You might learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Son, you make friends with a hot-tempered person, he's going to lose his temper. He's going to end up getting punched in the face. You're going to end up being in the fight and you're both going to walk away in handcuffs. You're going to get yourself ensnared, son. Back off. Make friends with people who, are, who can keep their calm and keep a level head. Jim Rohn said it this way, personal development expert. You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Who are they? Who are you allowing in your life? I used to tell the teenagers when I was the high school pastor here, your friends are like elevators. They'll take you up and they'll take you down or they'll take you down. They'll never leave you at the same level. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Wherever your friends are going, that's where you're going. Why? Because they shape you. How? By their example, you pick it up. You pick it up. You're the average of the, uh, of the five people who are closest to you. So when I was at that Bible camp, I was around people that were like, you know, Jesus is the main deal. I love him, want to honor him, want to live for him, want to serve him, want to make an impact for him, want to tell other people about him. And so what happened to me? What happened to me? I didn't want to be a pastor. I never, never made a decision. Never made a decision. Even when I was in college, never made a decision. Had lots of opportunities to make a decision, especially during all the chapel services at Liberty. Never made a decision to become a pastor, ever. All my friends went down, did the altar call deal. I submit to full-time ministry, all that stuff. Never went. I sat, I sat in the crowd. I said, I don't know. I just love Jesus. But early on, I became a camp counselor. And it was that decision to invest my life in other people and help them to learn who Jesus was that eventually led me to becoming a youth pastor and eventually a senior pastor. Who are you allowing to be around you and shape you? By their example, that's how, that's how we change, that's how we grow. How else do people help us? By holding us accountable. It's very simple, by holding us accountable. Number two in your notes there. Accountability's got a bad rap. We think it's a negative thing. It's a positive thing, it's for you. Here's how it works. You decide where you wanna go with your life. I wanna be a faithful husband, faithful spouse, faithful wife. I wanna be a great father, great, you know, you know be, be there for my kids. I wanna be a great steward of the finances that God allows me to oversee. And, and, and I wanna be a person of sexual integrity. I wanna be a person of character. And then you empower someone in your life that you respect to hold you accountable to the things that you said you wanted to do, right? And then you meet or you email or you text or you do a once a month meeting and guess what you do? That person checks in on the commitments you said you wanted to do. That's accountability. They call into account how your life is going. You said you wanted to be faithful. 
to your wife, how's it going? You said you wanted to drop off the pornography and get rid of all that stuff, how's it going, right? Why does accountability get a bad rap? It shouldn't, it's for you. We all need someone to come alongside of us and say, you said you wanted to go here, you said you wanted to do, start this business, you said you wanted to do whatever it is you said, how's it going? I'm calling you into account for the commitments you said you wanted to make. Why wouldn't you leverage that? Bible says this, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. How? By holding you accountable for what you said you wanted to do. Listen, marshmallows don't sharpen marshmallows. <laughs> Some of you have friends, but they're not the type of friends that you need because they're marshmallows. They're not going to look you in the face and say, now wait a second, I know you. You said you wanted to be faithful. You said that money wasn't the number one thing. You said money wasn't the number one thing in your life. And now you're living as if it is. Come on. You said this. I'm going to hold you accountable. See how that works? Some of you need to empower your friends to hold you accountable for the things you said are important in your life. See, I believe accountability cultivates responsibility. This is how it works. Responsibility is, listen, there is no epidemic of responsibility in this world. Do you agree? People do not do what they say they're going to do most of the time. Well, there's also, you know, not an epidemic of accountability going on in the world. How does accountability cultivate responsibility? Well, here's how it works. You and I are wired to want to live up to the expectations of the people that we admire and respect. That's the way God has wired. We don't want to disappoint the people that we value in our life. John Maxwell said it this way. I love what he said. People tend to become what the most important people in their lives think they will become. Powerful idea. If this is all you get today, this might change your life. I want to live up to the expectations of the people that I have empowered in my life who think that I'm going to actually do something with my life. Like be a, a fantastic husband or be a fantastic father or, or be a fantastic pastor and make a difference in our community and, and, and even beyond our community. Like there are people in my life who think that I'm going to be able to do that and I've empowered them. And now I want to live up to their expectations. I don't want to disappoint them. See how accountability works? I don't want them five years from now to go, oh man, what could have been? What should have been? Man, you blew it. You decided to cut corners. You decided to cheat. You couldn't get, couldn't get control of your sexuality. And now it's all gone. That's real, folks. So I've, I've just, I've handpicked a few people. I mean, I'm talking about handpicked them. Called them up, texted them, said, we're going to be friends. <laughs> Me. That's how it is. Why? Because I respect the way they do their marriage. I respect the way they do their parenting. I respect the way they run their businesses. I respect the way they handle money. I respect the way they just do things in this community. We are going to be friends. Let's meet every other Friday. You know what they all said? Yes. <laughs> they just said yes. And I'm living up to the expectations that, that, uh, of the person they believe that I will become. And guess what? Vice versa. That is how accountability works. You, you, am I crazy or what? Yes or no? Making, making sense? You guys can talk back to me. How about we talk back? Yes? Good, good. That's not, so example, accountability. Let's talk about this third one, knowledge. How do people help us grow? Knowledge. People know stuff we don't know. Listen, what you don't know about the spiritual life will hurt you. This is what the prophet said. My people are destroyed because of a lack of what? 
knowledge. What they don't know. Listen, if the Andersons go on a long trip, 12 hours, which we do, to New York, sometimes we go to Florida, it's a little bit longer, and the Andersons, us, break down halfway through, somewhere in Pennsylvania, right? We're in trouble. We're in deep trouble. Now, if, if we're out of gas, I'm in decent shape. I'll run to the gas station, run back. We'll be on our way in about an hour. I could probably do about an eight-minute mile. Okay. We can solve that one in about an hour if we're out of gas. If it's a flat tire, Jackie might be able to handle that. Okay. <laughs> so... I think we can get out of that one and we can, so those two scenarios right there, we could probably fight our way through and battle through and make it. Listen, if we open up the hood and it's something with the engine, the Andersons are screwed. <laughs> can I say that in church? Can I do that? You guys know what I mean. Because why? Because why, 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 why are we in a big giant, you know, pile of poop? Why is that true? I don't know what's going on under the hood. I have no idea. I don't know why there's smoke. I don't know why this piece has done this. I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't tell you where the spark plugs were. It's a problem. See how that works? Can I just, can I just tell you the, the, the example, the, the metaphor here? There are people in this church, this community, and all over this globe whose soul, not their car, is broken down and on the side of the road, and there's smoke coming up. And they don't have any knowledge. They can't fix the parts, fix the pieces. They can't put it back together to get back on the road to continue living life. Because they don't know how the soul works. They don't know how the mind interacts with the will. And how the will affects the emotions and how the emotions affect the will and how the mind really shapes the emotions and how the mind and the emotions present options to the will. We really can't make choices without a healthy mind and healthy emotions. They don't know this information. They don't know how it all works with the bodily appetites inside the body and how the body is connected to the soul. And they're not separate. They're one. They're not the same. But they're also not separate. They don't know. They lack the knowledge. Why do I have the knowledge? Because I've asked questions. I've read the books. You've got to read the books, folks. You've got to read the books. Renovation of the Heart, one of my favorite books. Mere Christianity, Renovation of the Heart. Dallas Willard in this book gives you the knowledge of the soul. But I'm supposing many of you haven't read this. And because you haven't read it, you don't have the knowledge of how the soul works. So that when the car break, when the soul breaks down is on the side of the road, you can put the pieces back together and fix the deal and get it back on the road. Who has the knowledge? Well, obviously God has the knowledge, right? God has the knowledge. But how does he get the knowledge to me? How does he get the knowledge to you? He gets it to us through other people. This is the spiritual community. You know what was going on in that little Bible camp? 20 weeks of my early Christian life. I was getting knowledge downloaded to me about how things work. Who, what is God like? What does grace really mean? How does God's judgment and wrath fit in with God's grace and mercy? And how does free will interact with God's sovereignty? And how does all of these different things, just knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. How do you overcome selfishness? Oh, man, so many adults haven't figured that out yet. And it's destroying their lives. Knowledge. Where does it come from? 
people in a spiritual community. That's how we learn. How do people, how do people shape us? I'm telling you, their example, the accountability, and the knowledge. You cannot go at this deal like it's a seesaw. It does not work. Some of you are trying. And that's why you've stalled. That's why you've hit a wall and you're the same person you are now that you were five years ago in regards to your Christ-like spiritual development. You haven't made any steps forward because you're trying to do it by yourself. If anything, you've gone backwards because you're lacking that spiritual community. Let me give you the fourth one, number four, because of encouragement. People shape you because of the encouragement that they give you. I was reading a blog post the other day called The Power of Encouragement. It was by another church, and the author, her name was Savannah. She said, we all battle moments of self-doubt, insecurity, and discouragement. Yes or no? Yes or no? Talk to me. Yes or no? We all battle it. I battle it. You battle it. Every single person battles moments of self-doubt, discouragement, and difficulty and insecurity. Moments where we can feel like instead of going forward, we'd rather give up. We all go through these moments. I just don't think I can make it. When I was a, a new Christ follower, when I, when I went to Liberty University, my second year of Liberty, I had this amazing opportunity to teach a Sunday school class at Jerry Falwell's church. And some of you remember that, Thomas Road Baptist Church. Jerry Falwell is the founder of Liberty University. Amazing opportunity, and so I stepped into it, but I was a brand new, sort of brand new Christian. And this wasn't a Sunday school to middle school students. This wasn't a class to middle school or high school students. This was a Sunday school class to pe my peers, other college students, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. I was in over my head, and I knew it, but it was a great opportunity, so I said yes. Six months into it or whatever, you know, I still had some, like, you know, some bad habits, some, some sinful patterns in my life, and I messed up, screwed up, blew it. Made some choices that I knew were wrong and disqualified me from being a, a Sunday school teacher at that time. I, was, I felt guilty. I felt ashamed. I was embarrassed. Nobody knew about it. Could have kept it hidden. Could have kept it secret. But I was living in a spiritual community. So there was enough trust for me to go to my mentor. Didn't have to. I wanted to. So I went to my spiritual mentor, I called him up, I said, hey, I gotta talk to you, Can I? he said, come on over, I went to his house, I said, here's what's going on, here's what I did, and I know I'm probably disqualified, and I know I need to probably step down, and I know you need to get somebody else to teach the class, and I'm really, really sorry, and I feel horrible, I've just got some issues in my life I haven't figured out how to overcome. I was fully expecting my mentor at that time, Andrew, to be like, you know what, Danny, I appreciate your honesty, you know, we'll get the class taken care of, you need to get those issues sorted through, and when you, when you grow a little bit, maybe we'll, we'll talk again in the future. He didn't do that. Instead, my mentor, Andrew, encouraged me. Which, by the way, means to put courage into somebody else's heart. He said, man, Danny, I mean, given, given the, the lifestyle that you had through high school and the fact that you're only three years into this deal, and you're still a fairly new Christian, I understand we all have patterns and habits and embedded, embedded in us that need to be, you know, retrained and overcome. And I understand the struggle that you have. So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to get on our knees right now. Sure enough, we both got on our knees in his house. I'll never forget it. And he grabbed my hand, which was kind of odd. Two dudes on their knees, you know. So we grabbed hands and, and he said, what you're going to do is you're going to repent of your sin. 
and you're going to ask Christ to forgive you, and he's going to forgive you. And then we're going to get back up, and what we're going to start to do is we're going to, we're going to start meeting together. And I'm going to show you how to overcome some of those struggles that you have so you don't fall back into it. Never forget it. Change the direction of my life. Fast forward a little bit, a couple of years. I get a job at Emmanuel Church. At, to- at that time, it was Emmanuel Baptist Church. Anybody remember that? As the youth pastor, 2000. 2006, I became the senior pastor of this church. Along that journey, at one point, I asked the founding pastor, Pastor Jim Devaney, I said, why did you hire me back in 1999, 2000 to be the youth pastor? Like, why did you hire me? I don't have a Bible degree. I don't have a theology degree. I have a degree in speech communications. Like, what, what was the draw? Why did you hire me? You know what he said to me? He said, well, when I looked at your resume, I saw that on your resume you had teacher, Sunday school teacher at Thomas Road Baptist Church. And I figured that since you, you were able to handle that responsibility and authority, you, you must have had some sort of influence and spiritual maturity about you to, to teach that class of peers. And I figured if you could do that, you, then you could teach our teenage, teenagers. And so that's why I hired you. I couldn't believe it. Can you imagine if Andrew Oates that night would have said, dude, you're done. It's over. You're right. Hang it up. Get your junk fixed. And maybe in the future. He didn't do that. He encouraged me and it changed the direction of my life. This is what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians. He was being persecuted. He was struggling. He was down. He said, but God who encourages those who are discouraged. Isn't that awesome? That's the kind of God we serve. Anybody thankful for that? If you're discouraged today, God wants to encourage you. Why? Because it's what he does. He's that, he's that kind of God. The God who encourages those who are discouraged encouraged us by sending us Titus. Another one of Paul's, you know, guys that he was mentoring, like Timothy. The presence of Titus, watch this, the presence of Titus was what? Was a joy. How does God encourage people? How does God encourage you? How does he encourage me? He, he picks a person in the spiritual community to come alongside and put courage into us. And Andrew Oates, a person in, in my life, to say, hey, I know you're down. I know you want to give up. I know you feel like you failed. I know you feel like you just want to give up. Don't give up. There is grace available for you. Get up. Wash yourself up. Repent of your sin and keep moving forward. God's not done with you. But it doesn't stop there. He said his presence was a joy, but so was the news that he brought of the encouragement that he received from you. In other words, you Corinthians encouraged Titus. And then Titus came to me and encouraged me. How does God encourage one, uh, each one of us? Through the spiritual community. Guess what you miss out on when you're not in community with other believers? Encouragement. The ability of someone to come into your life and say, man, man, I know you're down. I know it's hard. Keep on going. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, said this statement. I love it. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Isn't that what Paul just said about Titus? His presence was a joy. That night at Andrew Oates' house, his physical presence was a joy, a tangible joy and strength to my life in the moment when I wanted to give up. I'm telling you guys, if I would have given up that night, I probably wouldn't be standing here today talking to you. 
That's the power of a spiritual community. So my question is very simple. Are you pursuing a spiritual community? Or are you doing this? Trying to, trying to become like Christ by yourself. Oh, it doesn't work. You need the presence of other people in your life. Why? Because of their example, because of their accountability, because of the knowledge that they bring to you, and because of the encouragement they will give you. That's my heart. That's, that's what I want for you. Now, the way that we try to do that practically around here is through getting you in a small group. If you're not in a small group, you can send an email to groups at eclife.org. Even though we just started our 10-week semester, we will work as hard as we can to get a, find a group for you that matches your stage of life and location so you can begin to experience some of what I talked about today. You can get a little bit, little bit of it in a, in, in a row here. You can get some encouragement, some, some knowledge, and some of that stuff, but you can't get it the way that you would get it in a small group. That's why we say sometimes around here, circles are better than rows because of what can happen inside the context of a, of a circle. So I wanna encourage you, enter in, step in, move towards spiritual community. And then you, that's how you know that you're on the right track. See, it's not about perfection, it's about direction. A little bit better, it's not about perfection, it's about what direction are you headed? What are you pursuing? What are you desiring? Now, it is God's desire, and I say this boldly, I say this without hesitation, it is God's desire for you to be in a spiritual community. I know it, it's his will for your life 100%. I have no doubts. He wants you in a spiritual community. Now, there are other communities out there. Remember Cheers? Anybody grow up watching Cheers? Everybody knows your name, and they're all glad you came. Hey, order another beer. Remember that? Norm? No? Am I the only one? Some of you are like, what's Cheers? Google it. Google it. You can get some community at a bar. Listen, you can get some community at a, at a bowling alley. You can get some community where people know each other, but it's not spiritual community. Spiritual community has at its center this person, Jesus Christ. He's the master. He's the Lord. And each person in the spiritual community is trying to help each other to become like Jesus. In order to enter into that spiritual community, you have to have a relationship with Christ. And I'm telling you beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is his will, what he wants right now. If you're not in a relationship with him right now, he wants you to be in a relationship with him right now. We're about ready to celebrate communion in just a few moments. What is communion? We drink a little juice, we break a little bread, we eat the bread, what? To celebrate the broken body of Jesus and the spilled blood for Jesus so that you could be in a relationship with the Father, so that you could be forgiven of your sins, so that you can become a child of God. We're about ready to celebrate that. When you receive the sacrifice of Jesus Christ into your life, you step into spiritual community with Father, Son, and Spirit. And then the next step is to step into a spiritual community with other believers. Right now, some of you need to take that step. I'm gonna say a simple prayer, it's a prayer of faith. You can take my words, you can make them your own. When you say this prayer, you're saying, Jesus, I believe your blood was spilled. I believe your body was broken so that I could be forgiven, so that all of my sins could be washed away, so that I could be in a relationship with you. Take these words right now, if you feel, if you sense that this moment you're being pulled into it, take it, be brave, be bold, and pray this prayer. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for allowing yourself to be crucified. Thank you for dying in my place, paying the penalty for my sin. Not just dying, but rising again so that I could be forgiven. Right now, in this moment, 
I receive your grace. I receive your mercy in my life. I trust you. From this day forward, teach me to love you, to honor you, to obey you with all of my life. Help me to find a spiritual community that you created me to live in so that I can become the person you created me to be. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Can we give God glory, guys, for what he's done? Amen. Come on, raise it high, guys. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, one of our campuses are online. We want to put a New Testament in your hand right here. Why do we want to do that? Because we want to get you reading the scriptures right away. We believe that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so we want to put a Bible in your hands if you prayed to receive Christ today. If you prayed that prayer online, there's a little box there that, you can, that, uh, that says, I accepted Christ or I trusted Christ. Click that box, put your address on there, and we'll send one of these to you in the mail. One more time, guys, give it up for what God is doing. Amen. Now, communion, communion. Let me tell you something real quick about communion. I already explained what it is, what, what it's all about. It's for believers, okay? This is, the, communion is a, is a ritual, it's an event that people engage in as followers of Christ for a couple of reasons. To, to reflect on what Jesus did for them, to recommit their lives to Him as the Lord and Savior, right? And when we do that, we're saying, God, I, I'm coming to you and I'm, 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 I'm hitting the restart button. Forgive my sins, wash me. I'm recommitting my life to you, to honor you, to love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's a moment between you and God to kind of refresh and to remember the sacrifice that he paid so that you could have eternal life. So if you are a believer today, we wanna invite you to receive communion. There's gonna be some ushers that come, on, come down and pass out the buckets. And I'm gonna say a prayer. And during this next song as we worship, you feel, as you feel led, you can partake in communion. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins. The sacrifice that you paid, your spilled blood and your broken body, that we might have life. As we partake in communion right now, I pray that you would help us. Help us to hit the reset button, to recommit our lives to you, to love you, to serve you, to honor you with our lives. Wash us of our sins. Cleanse us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.